And there are signs that the UAW now is going to turn its attention from the big three and target Tesla. Do you hear any rumors on that or stories? I mean, it seems logical that with that, with those huge victories they got with Ford and General Motors and all that, why wouldn't they go after Tesla? Well, they absolutely are. Remember, the big three, uh, according to the organizer, fine, is now the big five or six, and that includes Tesla. And, you know, I mean, goodness, you got to hand it to uh, to labor. I mean, the unions have chalked up the W's recently from Hollywood to Detroit um, yeah. to Starbucks. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting that um, the end result for most of these strikes have been better wages, and that's good for the overall economy. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, November 10th installment of the Silicon Insider, the only uncensored look at life and business in Silicon Valley. My name is Mike Malone, and I'm here with special contributor Scott Budman of NBC Bay Area. Our producer is Jordan Henderson. Our East Coast correspondent is Bob Grove, and our host is Santa Clara University in the heart of Silicon Valley. Established in 1851, Santa Clara is the oldest operating institution of higher learning in California. And I will actually have a formal opening in a week or so. It's, it's being prepared right now. And I, you'll notice I'm not at Santa Clara today. People got a real kick out of me doing this, trying to get the lights back on uh, in that motion sensor room. So I decided to go back to my office today. Okay, so Scott, a lot going on. Uh, you remember when Amazon bought One Medical uh, earlier this year? It cost $3.9 and people are going, What's it doing with a uh, primary care service? Well, now we know. You're going to be able, if you're an Amazon Plus subscriber, you'll be able to get the one medical service for nine bucks a month or 99 bucks a year, which is half price. Uh, their usual annual membership is 199 bucks. So, you know, Amazon's been trying to get into healthcare and failing for a while. I mean, pharmacies, drone delivery, medicine, that kind of stuff. You think this one's going to work any better than the other ones? You know, I've thought about this a lot, and I think it has a better chance because of what Amazon is good at. Um, you know, it's not good at being a pharmacy. It's not good yet at drone deliveries. What it's good at is buying gigantic things and being a consumer company. And really, if you think about healthcare in this country, and there are so many things that, you know, if, if anyone has traveled and seen uh, you know, countries that that have healthcare for all, truly healthcare for all. You know, you realize what we could and and some say should be doing. Um, but one of those things is the consumer experience, and if Amazon can help that, and One Medical is known for that, I think it could be putting its money in a good place. It's sort of, and I realize this is a bit of a forced analogy, but you know, Jeff Bezos got good at journalism because he spent all that money on the Washington Post, which was already really good at journalism. Yeah. Amazon's entree into being a healthcare company makes sense, I think, buying One Medical and letting it do its thing more than Amazon trying to sort of force its way into other areas. Yeah, it, 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 you think about it, Amazon wants to be your delivery service one way or another. And if it's going to go to physical plants, Fine. I mean, nine bucks a month or nine ninety nine a month is a hell of a deal, I think, for primary care. Uh, you don't think twice about going in with with that kind of price. So, 
you know, I think they're onto something. It's a little scary that the, you know, the blob gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, maybe they can send some of those employees that are having to pee in bottles and stuff and work long hours to one medical to get care. Yeah. I mean, uh, all I know is I've known people, uh, and, and I, this is anecdotal that I am not among them, but I know people who have one medical and who have them free Amazon and they were happier with that than any other healthcare plan they'd been on, whether through their own, you know, I know some people who, who do their own through, you know, self-employment or through their, their company and they're happier with it. So if it's better at delivering the consumer experience, that's at least one thing that in America, we we struggle with when it comes to healthcare. Yeah, no, if it's better, I'm all for it. Uh, let the you know let the best service win always. Our life gets a lot better. Okay, now this is a very high tech era story. How the one of the you know Silicon Valley and, and the tech has always known that that uh, the notion that we celebrate failure and all that. But another feature of tech is when things crash. Somebody comes along, picks up the pieces, puts them together in a different way, and tries again. I mean, nothing ever dies around here uh, in the long run. And so now we have, amazingly, I mean, Sam Bankman-Fried hasn't even been given his penalty round yet. And already there, people are fighting, potential investors are fighting to buy the remnants of FTX and restart it as a uh, platform again for cyber. I mean, it's just like crazy. And one of the most interesting people trying to buy up these remnants is Tom Farley, who, if you remember, was president of the New York Stock Exchange. I mean, how how quickly can he wash that thing so consumers aren't wary? I mean, you would think something as bad as that crash was would scare away customers forever, but I guess not. I, I don't know about the not. It may scare people away forever. I mean, there have been, and there will continue to be in the future, crypto exchanges. Some have worked, <laughs> I mean, this is an understatement to say, some have worked better than others. Um, yeah. You know, Coinbase is still out there. It's a publicly traded company. FTX is obviously, you know, a shell, and Sam Bankman-Fried's on his way to jail likely for decades, his sentencing, by the way, coming up in March. Um, but look, someone bought the name Napster. Uh, before that, someone bought the name Atari. Um, but I don't think anyone's going to buy the name Theranos, let's say. Um, you know, some of these things get picked up. Uh, WeWork just declared bankruptcy. It was on its second iteration of WeWork. Is someone going to go for a third iteration of WeWork? I don't know. FTX, um, it's going to be hard no matter how successful of a platform it ever becomes to get out from under the shadow of what really happened with that company. It's a it's a scarred brand, I mean, to put it mildly. So wouldn't it be ir ironic karma? Sam Beckman-Fried is sitting in his orange jumpsuit and he watches the revived you know, Lazarus of FTX come back and be really successful by doing it honestly and doing it right, that he could have done the same thing. He had it all in his hands and he blew it. Right. He gained trust of investors to the tune of billions of dollars. And then 
lost that trust um, and lost all that money and lost all their money. And yeah, I guess if he's able to convince them, I don't know, to give him Wi-Fi access in jail, wasn't that one of the things he's tried to do all this time? He can maybe go on that platform and say, wow, you can uh, ah, buy and sell crypto. (laughs) Who knew? (laughs) Okay, Linda Vaccarino. Uh, who, as of course you know, you, you've covered her, uh, is is ex-Twitter's uh, CEO. And she's currently in New York City trying to look what she was paid for, why she was hired. She's in New York trying to draw back the old advertisers that X lost, the biggest one being apparently the NFL. Uh, if she doesn't, if if she succeeds, it seems to me, we have a new new sense of how well X is going to do. But if she fails, is that the end of Elon's experiment? I mean, she's she's got an uphill. She's got a headwind against her, which is all the inform- misinformation, all the fake news that's being poured into, into Twitter right now. Can she overcome that and actually bring these folks back? It's hard to say because I think the biggest headwind that she has to overcome is her boss, the guy who owns the company. Uh, who consistently has insisted, uh, not stumbled into, but insisted on putting hate speech uh, up on Twitter first and foremost and scaring away advertisers. So when a big part of your job is courting advertisers, it's hard when the one person in the company that has more authority than you do insists on scaring away advertisers. It's a weird Sisyphean boulder she's pulling up pushing up that hill um I, I don't know how successful she's been i mean look this is obviously a million pay grades above me but everybody at nbc knew that she was successful you know at, at, at the advertising uh, as an advertising executive at nbc um and so we know what she's really good at but that doesn't mean she's going to be successful because she's dealing with a force larger than her that insists on scaring advertisers away and that makes it tough to sell ads at your company. Well, I like your analogy of Sisyphus, and I think the boulder got a whole lot bigger in the last few weeks with the war in, in Israel and Gaza and all the protests in the United States. It seems to me there's more hate speech right now than I've ever encountered in my life. And let me jump in on that, because this should have been, in an alternate world, a really big moment for Twitter. Um, and I mean like a Osama bin Laden moment for Twitter, you know, when we got Osama bin Laden. Um, this should have been a big moment for Twitter because it should have been the place to get your accurate news. Yes. But Musk fired all the people who keep hate speech away and misinformation away and promoted those who would promote hate speech and misinformation. Um, that's a deadly one-two punch to a service that wants to be known as a news source. And so here you have this gigantic news event. And instead of the rise of Twitter, it points out what's wrong with Twitter. And that's a huge, in my opinion, very sad missed opportunity. Well, we'll see what happens. It could be, it could decide the fate. Her, her, this trip for her could decide the fate of the company. Perhaps. Perhaps. I mean, Musk still, wants to pour more money. Be off that debt, you know, and if, if Twitter sh- shrinks enough, uh, Where's he going to get the revenues to do it? Right. Absolute fair point. Uh, and I, I don't know. I mean, there's so many question marks ahead of, uh, or, or just after that valuation came in, where it was something like 19 billion, you know, less than half of what he bought it for. 
and um, and advertisers continue to flee. And and again, this should be a time when during these last this the last thirty days, Twitter should have been the forefront of journalism, and instead it's uh, you know where people go to to spiral into bad feelings. You know, the more yeah, well, spend on it. It, it seems to be just recapitulating what's happening on the streets, which is people screaming at each other, uh, each with their own story. So, okay, uh, Intel. We haven't had a lot of good things to say about Intel for the last, what, three years? But apparently, they're kind of in first place to get those billions that, that are coming off the Biden administration's $53 billion chip act. Apparently, you know, Intel really blew it because they didn't get the next generation of wafer fab equipment. Uh, and so they, they were having trouble getting down to those, you know, really low two or three micron level surface features. Well, apparently they're going on full gun on their expansion. They're going to expand in down in Arizona, which is they have huge facilities down there. I've been to I've toured those, but also they're doing one in Ohio. Uh to get it get to the Mississippi River and to the lakes, I mean, for shipping, they're going gung-ho on this. And maybe that's why we haven't heard much about them, uh, at least at least business-wise. They're, they're putting everything into these new fabs. And I just learned this today. A lot of them will be very secure facilities. I mean, fabs are always secure facilities, but they're going to start doing stuff to keep the U.S. military ahead of China and everybody else. And so these are going to be militarily secure facilities. I guess that means guardhouses of dogs and all sorts of stuff. It's going to be very different for, you know, a traditional Silicon Valley company. You think it's a smart move? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I think it is a smart move. I think Intel has been riding a pretty good wave for chip companies in the chip industry for some weeks now. Its stock price got up to about 40 bucks, which hasn't seen in a little bit. Um, as far as the future, you know, I think the Biden administration's timing of the CHIP Act was really good for the chip industry. Often these acts yes. come when an industry is struggling and it's a life preserver that may or may not work. I mean, look at like what happened with Solyndra, for example, um, a lot of money towards something that ultimately failed. Uh, but every once in a while, you get a lot of money thrown at something like Tesla that succeeds, uh, where the automotive bailout. This was a chip act at an industry that was actually kind of moving higher at the time. So there's some momentum behind this. And that makes not only the administration look good, but uh, boy, if you've been an investor at any of these companies, you know, especially NVIDIA or Qualcomm or AMD, um, you know, you really see an industry that has always been important. Uh, you know, really rise to the, to the forefront of where technology is right now. And that makes Silicon Valley look good. It obviously ratchets up the tensions, uh, you know, between the Asia Pacific region and the U.S., but but in a, in a competitively healthy way. And so, yeah, be wary of competition, but also um, try to take this and, and run with it. Uh, you know, the ball's in their court. And so far, they've had a, a really good, I'd say, year you know, so far. You know, Intel got in a lot of trouble in its early, early days because it couldn't produce. It had the greatest designs in the world. And it, Intel always was the leader in design technology, but they couldn't build chips without an incredibly high failure rate. And so they they stopped. 
and they focused on how do we reduce, how do we increase our yield to, to the level that it matches the quality of our designs. And I think this has been an opportunity for the company after 50 years to do the same thing again, is to become the become the process leader as much as they're not gonna they're not gonna rule a design game. But I think if they have the you know the best chip high high end level chip production, they can be back at the top of their game again. They could. They missed out on a lot of, of yeah, 20 years. Yeah. yeah. And so therefore they they can afford to do things a little stealthily because they're just not as relevant. They're not at the forefront. But uh, sure, I, I'd like to see them come back and be competitive because this is an industry that thrives on competition and yeah. uh, and is is doing a good job of thriving right now. Yeah, no, it's, it's terrific. And I think it's only being helped, frankly, by the collapse of the Chinese economy, that the, these chip companies, these, these fabs in China and an unfriendly China, United States is doing the smart thing by let's bring the stuff home. Let's not be dependent over there. And so it's been, it's a perfect time for these companies to thrive. So, okay. Uh, Tesla. Tesla is facing a massive union organizing in Germany. So it just raised its workers' wages. And there are signs that the UAW now is going to turn its attention from the big three and target Tesla. Do you hear any rumors on that or stories? I mean, it seems logical that with, that, with those huge victories they got with Ford and General Motors and all that, why wouldn't they go after Tesla? Oh, they absolutely are. Remember, the big three, uh, according to the organizer, fine, is now the big five or six, and that includes Tesla. And, you know, I mean, goodness, you got to hand it to uh, to labor. I mean, the unions have chalked up the W's recently from Hollywood to Detroit um, yeah. to Starbucks. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting that um, the end result for most of these strikes have been better wages, and that's good for the overall economy. Uh, that's good for home ownership, et cetera. Uh, and so what are you seeing from Toyota now? And like you say, to an extent, Tesla, you're seeing preemptive raises yep. uh, because the unions are going to target them. And even in, uh, even in non-union states, they're raising, yeah. Well, right. Um, and I think that shows a very successful uh, strike. It shows a successful aftermath and... Look, if, if there's more money going into the pockets of workers, yeah. that's fantastic. That's what this is all about. Uh, more jobs, more wealth, more spending power, more confidence, uh, more chances of home ownership, more chances of you know supporting a family. This is all good. And um, why shouldn't auto workers get that as well? Yeah, it's going to be interesting tension between the growing union demands and simultaneously Demand seems to be slipping for EVs right now. Uh, that's going to make some interesting bargaining. Right. Look, this didn't have to be a union thing. I don't mean to be rah-rah about the union. I, I want well-paid workers no matter how they get well-paid. That's just good for the economy. That's not taking sides. Um, and, of course, what has to come with well-paid workers? Execution and high sales. And, you know, did the big three get themselves into a big mess if they're paying the workers in the future, which is great, they should do that. But if they don't have the cars to sell in the future that people want, 
that's a bad combination for the bosses, not to mention shareholders. Um, and, uh, you know, we need EVs that people want to buy and want to drive. And I would say with, uh, you know, a recent appetite for these kind of cars, I mean, I think 25% of the cars bought this year in California were EVs. That's a pretty decent percentage. Or maybe 25% of all cars in the country bought that are EVs were bought in California, whatever it is, we're leading the league. So there is this appetite. So I'd say it's on the companies to go out there and produce cars that we want because this is what we want to buy. Well, they're going to have to. I mean, there's. I was just reading a story that uh, uh, we've had two of the largest trucking companies in the United States go into Chapter 11 in recent weeks because not enough stuff is getting – they hired a whole bunch of people coming out of COVID, and now there's not enough stuff being shipped across the country. And that's another leading indicator of an economic downturn. I mean, we seem to get contradictory stuff. People are still spending at incredibly high levels, but credit card debt is at its highest level ever recorded. So we've been talking about mixed signals about the economy for a year now, and something's got to either break one way or the other, and I I, I have no idea. Right. I mean, you know, there great. are right there are signs that inflation is slowing that's good news for for you know people dealing we're all dealing with these high prices but you're right consumers continuing to shop you look at that and you think wow that's healthy that's a good sign for the economy if it turns out we're all just loading up the credit cards uh that's not so good especially with high interest rates because your debt costs more uh it's sort of like that family you know with the nice house and the nice suv and it turns out you know they're just riding tons of debt and that would make me nervous and that's kind of where where we are as an economy um, so if if we can lower that, um, lower the interest rates, perhaps lower mortgage rates, lower credit card debt, people are going to feel a whole lot better, I think, about going forward with with this spending that we've all been doing. Um, and you're going to see a lot of posturing in the next 12 months, right? Because we are one yeah. year away from an election. So you're going to see all sorts of posturing. I, I just don't exactly know um, what breaks first, the consumer or our high interest? Yeah. And we have another factor too. I mean, housing prices are the highest we've ever seen around here. Huge demand. Yet at the same time, in certain pockets of the Bay Area, we're seeing a burst of foreclosures, kind of 2008 foreclosures, you know? And that just seems weird too. Like people seem to be loading up on debt, but they don't seem to be too worried about it. Well, see, you said those two sentences and you put a butt between them, I would push back and argue that highest prices, uh, it's not surprising that we're suddenly seeing some foreclosures. I mean, people are taking on debt and these high mortgages. And, and I feel for those who are trying to buy a home right now, the average mortgage in Silicon Valley is $10,000 a month. That's the average mortgage payment. That's staggering to me. Maybe it's because I'm not, you know, a rich millionaire, but come on. I mean, this is just so much money. And so you can get into a house, but are you going to be able to make these payments month after month? That's what we got into in 2008, 2009. And that was the last time we saw a bunch of foreclosures. Yeah. I get these real estate flyers in Mountain View and Sunnyvale, middle class, basically. Houses are going for 3 million bucks and you take on a mortgage of 7%. 
you're paying 15 grand a month. Who around here can afford 15 grand a month just for house payments, not for lifestyle, cars, anything else? Well, and that's a big part of the problem. There is not much inventory on the market because people are both thinking, I can't afford $15,000 a month, but also the people who may be otherwise selling that house are saying, ooh, I'd be giving up my 3% mortgage for a 7, 7.5% mortgage. And anywhere I go, that's going to be a higher you know, payment. So there's worries on, on both sides of the coin here. And that's why this market is so paralyzed right now. Well, I think it's going to be an interesting Christmas. The, the Christmas shopping Black Friday, is, I think, is finally going to give us a clue. Yeah, because so far through all of this, the consumer has stayed strong, at least according to the, the stats that we see, and has continued to spend. Um, and often when you see that up to November, you say, ah, it's going to be a good Christmas season. People are going to spend. But um, I, I don't know. I mean, the, the debt levels, like you say, are high, and that scares me um, yeah. more than if someone said, ooh, video game sales dipped a bit or whatever. Um, that's okay. High credit, that scares me. Okay, a couple of real quick things. Uh, Block, the electronic payment company, Block, run by, founded Jack by Dorsey. Jack Dorsey, who was everywhere in the news. And now, last time I saw him, he was like in a hammock somewhere in the Caribbean, uh, growing that giant beard, that fatty beard. Uh, Block's in trouble. I mean, the stock is down 80% from its high. And Dorsey, I guess, shareholders in. Where's the uh, where's the CEO? I mean, because Jack seems to be the kind of guy that sort of runs things from afar, from by remote control. Well, apparently he's announcing he's going back in to turn Block around. Do you think that'll work? I mean, he doesn't. He's never seemed to me to be a real super hands-on chief executive. Can he yeah, I mean, look, yeah, I've, I've gotten to know. Jack Dorsey through the years and done many, many interviews with him. And I think someday there's going to be a, you know, a Harvard Business School class on that guy. Um, it's just a fascinating arc of leadership. Uh, um, and, and there's something, it also says something about Twitter. Um, you know, we didn't hear from Elon Musk nearly as much as we do now that he runs Twitter. And yeah. once Jack Dorsey backed away from Twitter, we heard from him a whole lot less. So yeah. there's something about that company that leads its executives to feel the need, I guess, to tweet a whole bunch. Um, and, you know, Dorsey is enigmatic of Silicon Valley in the modern era and iconic, uh, controversial. Um, he stepped away, you know, for the whole meditation thing. Like, I, it just, it's fascinating to me. That said, if he's coming back and he's going to be engaged, I would say that's good for a company. He's that kind of a leader. He inspires those around him. Uh, he can be very charismatic when he's not being removed. Um, and yeah, he cares. Really. Uh, but really. Right. But, you know, look, he's gotten really, really rich. And and that's sometimes uh, the healthiest thing to do is to back away and just be rich. So it, it's often a distraction, that much money. And, and I, I don't know where he stands on that part of it, because it's true. We haven't heard from him uh, in a long time. But that said, if he's engaged, uh, I'd say he's good for a company. Okay, finally and real quick, we have some Elon news. 
this new book that came out recently uh, about the uh, breakdown of Twitter. It's called Breaking Twitter by a guy named Ben Mesrick. He has a story in there that Elon went to, in December 22, Elon went to a Dave Chappelle show in San Francisco and got pointed out from the stage and was roundly booed by the San Francisco audience. I think it was right in the middle of the sale and all that. And he apparently, as the story goes, I hope this guy's got all the you know the, the, the receipts to back this story up, but he apparently had something close to a mental breakdown. He went back to Twitter, locked himself in his office. The employees considered calling uh, SFPD to, you know, do a, a, a quick check on him and all of that. That, that, you know, that's another side of Elon we haven't seen. I mean, I've, I've known the guy for 20 years. He's either really laconic or he's kind of slightly bemused and friendly. You know, that's about it. But just the idea of him locking himself in his office and having something close to a nervous breakdown because he realizes that everybody's begun to hate him. He's not, he's not Walt Disney anymore. Uh, is an interesting other side of him that I don't think anybody's seen. Well, somebody out there has seen it. And, um, and I think Musk himself, to be honest, has sort of hinted at this. I mean, mental concerns are something we need to take seriously. Uh, you know, no matter who it is. And and I hope if there is something like that, you can get the help. I mean, look, Breaking Twitter, which is Ben Mesrick's book. I've read everything he's written. The guy gets the details on yeah. these companies and these things. But remember, uh, a journalist named Nick Bilton wrote Hatching Twitter, a fascinating look at the early days and how Twitter was formed, speaking of, of Jack Dorsey. Um, and uh, that sounds like a pretty, uh, pretty amazing one-two punch. Hacking Twitter, or excuse me, Hatching Twitter and Breaking Twitter. And uh, I'm definitely going to read the Mesrick book. I, like I said, I read everything he does. I can highly recommend the Nick Bilton book as well. Um, if you need some some cozy up reading and you're willing to go down the Twitter rabbit hole, get them both uh, and, and enjoy because those guys are both great writers. And related news, perhaps it's very related. Uh, Elon's artificial intelligence startup, XAI, just announced his first AI bot called Grok. I think it's Grok. Grok, going back to high name, is that what we're doing? Stranger to straight man. Designed to compete with Chad GPT. The fundamental difference, though, and maybe he needs a little bit of this, it's supposed to feature a sense of humor and even give snarky replies. Because it's scraping Twitter, Michael. So what else is it going to do? Come on. Uh, I Yeah. Um, I, I want to say Robert Heinlein is either, I don't know, twisting in his grave or smiling from above. Who knows? Um, but uh, yeah, that's stranger. And 90% of Americans who are under 40 years old have no idea where that etymology <laughs> of that term. I guess they'll learn. Okay, so that's it for now, folks. You can find us on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>